Good morning, everyone. Um, have my little Lakers bottle up here just in case I need it. I was, uh, I was preaching in Mandarin service earlier, uh, and I was hesitant to bring that up, so I brought up a clear water bottle because I'm not too sure how to respond to a Lakers bottle up here in front. But since we talk about basketball so much in, this, in our English service, that would be fine if I just have that up here. So, um, so forgive the purple and yellow, and yellow if you don't like the Lakers, but that's what our church here, that's, that's what we root for here. All right? <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to SBC One. This is our English service. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, today is Mission Sunday. Um, and if you're new to our church, if you are, this is one time you're visiting us for mission organizations and your representatives, uh, if you're here with us today and you uh, and, and you're getting to know us as well. Uh, we've been going through regularly in our English and in, in our in our Sunday services here as church Y through First Timothy, right? And so we we're in First Timothy chapter three, uh, and if we were to follow the passages just you know straight on, we would be we we're supposed to be teaching about deacons today. But I didn't know how to talk about deacons or really at the missions. I, I'll have to stretch it. I'll make, it, I'll make it sound like only deacons are allowed to go on the missions if I preach it that way. Um, and so, you know, we decided then to, to skip over that passage. We'll come back to that next week as a church. And this week, we're going to focus in on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 16, which I think is so appropriate for this morning. Because in this passage, Paul here speaks about the mission of the church. The mission of the church. Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Now, we all agree with the Great Commission. There's not much debate about that. We we all agree that as 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 believers, we're called to make disciples. We're called to be disciple makers. But the question then is, how are we supposed to fulfill that task? How are we supposed to reach all nations? That is indeed the million-dollar question that many churches, many mission organizations are trying to answer. And, and many, many of them are doing great work at reaching nations. There's, there's plenty of mission organizations here represented outside. They're doing great work at reaching nations. But I want to present this morning from our passage that God has called the local church as his unique instrument, the local church to be his instrument, his arm to make disciples of all nations. I mean, we see this throughout scripture, right? From the book of Acts, we see that the apostles, they weren't just doing street evangelism, they were involved with church planting, planting churches. And so they even understood that making disciples is more than just sharing the gospel. It's about teaching people, teaching believers the word of God, training up local pastors, and establishing structure and order within a church so that people, believers, can gather together for worship. In a nutshell, throughout 1 Timothy, that's what Paul is instructing his disciple here, his child Timothy. Paul is reminding Timothy here that the church is not to be a social club. The church is not a weekly community center. The church is not like a local grocery store where you go in and you get your spiritual food and and that's it. No, it's important for Timothy here to remember 
and then in a sense for us to remember that the church's primary mission is indeed the great commission is to make disciples and that's what we see here in first timothy chapter 3 verse 14 to 16 let us go ahead and read the passage together i also have it on the screen behind me if you need to follow along there but i encourage you to open up your word and follow along here the word of god says i hope to come to you soon but i am writing these things to you so that if i delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. In these three verses, we find a reason behind Paul's letter to Timothy. Right? The, 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 the reason why Paul is writing Timothy here is because he says in verse 14 that he hopes to see Timothy, to personally give him these instructions. But in case he delays, in case he doesn't even make it to Ephesus and see Timothy at all, Paul writes everything down so that Timothy can have it on, on paper. Because he wants to make sure that Timothy receives these instructions. It's, it's that important. And he wants Timothy to know how to keep the church in line with this mission to make disciples of all nations. And that's Paul's point here in verse 15. He says that the church, the church of the living God, is indeed a pillar and a buttress of the truth. A pillar and buttress of the truth. Right? That, that ad right there encapsulates the mission of the church. This is how we're to make disciples. We, we, we do so by being a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And what Paul probably has in mind here, by when he says pillars, probably he has in mind the temple of Artemis, which is located in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the temple of Artemis is what it's known for. We're to picture it is for these grand white pillars just holding up its giant roof, a symbol, though, of idol worship. Paul here is saying that the church then, the church needs to be like one of those pillars, only, but only that the church doesn't uphold idol worship. Instead, the church upholds the truth of the gospel. And we're going to see here in these passages, I want to draw out two pillars that the church must stand upon to accomplish then this mission of upholding the truth. And the first pillar is this, the, the proclamation of the gospel. And the second pillar is the practice of godliness. And these then become my two points for this sermon this morning. We're talking about proclamation and practice. And we see these two points emphasized over and over again throughout this letter. Right? And, and Chapter 1, verse 18, Timothy is supposed to wage a good war by holding faith, meaning proclaiming the truth, and of good conscience, meaning he's supposed to live golly. His conscience is not condemning him for the way he lives. It holds up to what he preaches. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 9, the instructions given to deacons, the pastors who skipped over, the spiritual leader's truth, they're to hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Same concept, declare the truth, but live it out. And then this all comes together and later on in chapter 4 and verse 16, where Paul encourages Timothy, he says, keep a close watch on yourself 
practice and on the teaching proclamation. You see, this, this, is, this is woven throughout this letter. These two pillars. Paul wants Timothy to build up a healthy church that stays on mission. And in order to do that, a healthy church then must both know the truth and practice the truth. The healthy church must both teach the truth and model the truth. The healthy church, a healthy church must proclaim the truth and live the truth. And so we're going to work our ways backwards through this passage. The first point that we're going to look at, the first pillar, is the church's proclamation. The church's proclamation. Paul, he writes here in verse 16, the, that the mystery, the church, the mystery, through the church, the mystery of godliness is revealed. Uh, mysteries meant we want to solve mysteries. We want to unveil it. We want to see what's behind the mystery. And the mystery of godliness is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. It's no secret what the church is about. We don't hide behind a facade of events and community service. The church is about making the name of Jesus Christ known to the world. I mean, as Christians, we should delight in every opportunity to make our Lord and Savior known. And that's probably why Paul, when he talks about the mystery of Godliness, he describes it in the form of a hymn. Because when it comes to Christ, Christians can't help but sing. We sing because we express our worship and praise to Him. And there's nothing else in this world that gives us greater joy than proclaiming the salvation of our Lord. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Great indeed is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he is the one who was manifested in the flesh. He is the promised Messiah who became a man so that he can die on the cross for our sins. Jesus is also the one who is vindicated by the Spirit, raised up from the dead on the third day, a sign of affirmation from God. Where God says, Jesus, your sacrifice has been accepted and death has been conquered. Jesus is the one who was seen by angels. He was served by these heavenly hosts, by declared as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the one who is taken up in glory, exalted to the highest with a name above every name. This is the Jesus who saves you. This is the Jesus where Paul declares, great is the mystery of godliness. The, the hymn here also reminds us that Jesus did not just die for us, like within these four walls. No, he came here and died for the world. Jesus here, he died for all of us. God desires for all kinds of people to be saved. We hear Jesus will be proclaimed among the nations, every nation, people here in America, people in China, people from countries like North Korea, people from every continent. That is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not a side quest. It is the main mission, and we are to be undistracted from that. We are to be focused on it. The gospel of Christ must go out. Jesus must be proclaimed among the nations, every nation, with no exception. Jesus is also to be believed on in the world. And that short statement right there is an affirmation for really how effective the gospel is. The gospel, the gospel is amazing. I mean, when, we, when you look through the book of Acts, when you read through your Bibles, and you, aren't you amazed that after just a few decades, there are churches planted throughout the Roman Empire? Just a few decades. And yet the gospel went out, and churches are planted. 
Have you ever wondered over the course of time, the course of history, how the gospel has reached and expanded throughout this globe? Or have you ever thought about personally for yourselves the great lames the gospel had to travel from the early church to your heart today? I mean, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. That's how amazing this gospel of Jesus Christ is. That's how amazing our Savior is. There are two implications that I want to make from this point. First, we see here that the church must proclaim the full gospel clearly. Oh, everything we see in this hymn, I mean, it starts with Jesus' death all the way to his death and resurrection, even talking about his ascension. We need to remember all of that when we talk about the gospel. Our presentation of the gospel must capture the full gospel. It must include everything. And, and when I mean by everything, I mean even including the reality of our sins and the consequence of hell. That's what's included when we talk about Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus paid that penalty. What is that penalty? It's our penalty. We are not merely telling the gospel to the nations as a feel-good story. We're not. We're telling them. We're telling people that they are lost and blinded by their sins, and they need a Savior. Or else why would we tell the nations about Jesus? You see, when we, when we consider all this, when we think about all this, and we consider how the Great Commission is our main mission, it really helps think about, it really helps focus in our ministries. That every ministry that we do, all the purpose of, of it should be about proclaiming Christ. It keeps us focused. It keeps us on task. You know, I, I don't know if you guys ever gone to a grocery store and there's like a whole reason why you need to go to a grocery store, a reason why I had to go to Target or something like that, Costco. And, and then by the time you're done shopping, you have all these things. And then you forget the main reason why you had to go. Maybe you forgot... You bought, like, you know, you bought, you bought all the, the rotisserie chicken, you got the samples, you bought the crackers, and you forget all of a sudden that you went to Costco to buy diapers, right? <laughs> Something that I feel like we're always doing, we're going to Costco to buy diapers nowadays. And, and we forget that, right? And sometimes we can get so distracted by all these different things that are catching our attention. And they're not actually bad things, they're things we need, but we forget the main purpose. We forget the main mission. You see, to church, we can use programs to attract people. We can provide services that meet the needs of our community. The church can host big events. We can draw on large clouds. We can have VBS and, and all these different things. But if we do not present the full gospel of Jesus Christ clearly, the church will fail at being the church. And we're talking here about the full gospel, meaning the gospel, when presented, also requires a response. That salvation doesn't just happen unless Jesus Christ is believed on. Meaning there's a cost to following Jesus. And we have to tell people that when you hear the gospel of Christ, it demands a response. That you must repent of your sins, forsake the idols of this world, and submit to Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the full gospel. And, if, and when we keep that in mind, it really focuses in on everything that we do as a church. 
I mean, take for example something as simple as the Lord's Supper that we took. What did Paul tell us in, in 1 Corinthians? He tells us every time we take the cup and the bread together, we, what, what do we do? We proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in that simple action, we're constantly telling the world who Christ is. The second implication is this, that the church must work together to effectively proclaim the gospel. Uh, look here again in verse 16. In the beginning here, it says, Great indeed we confess, or by other translations, by common confession. The idea here is that the church as a whole, that as a collective, that we are to proclaim the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ together as one. Proclaiming Christ here then, right, evangelism, proclaiming Christ, preaching the gospel, is not just reserved for pastors or missionaries. This is the whole church being involved on missions. The whole church involved in proclaiming the gospel. See, as a single believer, you may be able to have the gift of evangelism and be able to share the gospel well and sound very convincing. But when a whole church makes, delivers the same message, the same gospel, along with all the other believers around the world, the same message of Christ, what that does is it forms a rock solid confession. The Great Commission then is a collected effort. I mean, imagine if an unbeliever walks through our doors, right? Walks through our doors, talks to his friend, his friend shares the gospel with him. So he hears the gospel from his friend. Then this unbeliever then gets introduced to an auntie or an uncle in our church. And this auntie shares the gospel with the same gospel, only though it sounds different because she uses her words in her testimony. Then this unbeliever then gets invited to a small group or a community group, and he hears the same gospel expressed again and again, but only in different ways. What will happen to that unbeliever? That unbeliever will walk away with a full picture of how that same gospel message can impact so many lives in different ways. And really, when that gets presented to someone, that makes the gospel beautiful doesn't it? This leads us to our second point, the church's practice, the church's life, the church's practice. And yes, we're talking about practice here. And when Paul here, when he's talking about Jesus Christ, when he's talking about Jesus Christ, he's talking about him being revealed as the mystery of godliness. And when we talk about godliness, it is really about our livelihood, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we live. And so godliness here is not just about teaching the gospel. Godliness is about living it out. We put the gospel into practice. In verse 15, Timothy here says, sorry, Paul says to Timothy here, he says, you may know how one, a Christian, how one ought to behave in the household of God. The word household here, it's actually the same word being used in back earlier in chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, when talking about elders. We covered this last week. And in verse 4 and 5, it talks about elders having to manage his own household well. And so Paul uses this metaphor of a household to talk about family. He's referring to a family. And so what we see here in our passage is that the church then is the household of the living God, meaning the church here is the family. 
the family of God. In Christ, we are all indeed adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so as part of God's family, as part of God's family, we are then expected to behave a certain way. Right? Every family, every family has their own customs, right? I mean, growing up in an Asian family, we are, we are told that, you know, if it gets hot, you, t- you turn on a fan. If it gets cold, you put on a sweater. You don't touch the AC, you save the electric bills, right? Or I remember, you know, at every meal, I had to drink soup because that's just what Asians do when they have a meal. They drink soup, either before or after the meal. Uh, and then, you know, Chinese New Year money, if you receive that, you don't immediately put that into your savings account. No, 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 you have to put it underneath your pillow, right, and sleep on it. It's not, instead of a tooth pair, you sleep on money. And then you, and then you can, you know, do what you do, put in piggy bank and things like that. Right? There's, there's these customs that we, that we have growing up in every family. Every one of our families, we have a custom. And even and more importantly, as, especially for us as an Asian church, we especially know the importance of family. Right? If anyone dishonors himself, he doesn't just bring shame upon himself. He brings shame upon the whole family. And we understand that there's this identity that's involved in the family, this representation. The household of God, the church, the family of God is no different. And this is why Paul spends the entire chapter 5 that we'll see later in our sermon series, the entire chapter 5 is about honor. It's about honor within the church. Let me just give you real quick the first two verses of chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would what? A father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. In all purity. And then the word honor shows up, I believe, four or five times throughout the chapter. God's family is, God's church is the family of God. And so if anyone has conflict with someone else within the church. It actually dishonors the entire church and it dishonors God. You see, the family God must model godliness. And when we talk about godliness, we're, again, we're talking about a life that's filled with good works. Godliness is humble, selfless, and it seeks to honor one another. What godliness does when all of us act in godly ways and live out the gospel what it does, it unifies the church. And when the church is united, the church becomes a better witness of the gospel to the world. Now, I'm not saying that conflict should never exist in the church, because they do. Conflicts happen because the church is filled with sanctified sinners. And that's true. I mean, we're a family after all, and every family has their own conflicts, right? They have their own fair share of arguments. What I'm saying here is that how a church seeks to reconcile conflicts and promote peace, that matters. That we don't just sweep conflicts under the rug, we don't, we take it seriously. That the church understands that the conflict resolution is actually all part of the Great Commission. What does Paul call the gospel ministry? He calls the gospel ministry in, in 2 Corinthians a ministry of reconciliation. In short, the idea there is that when you're reconciled with God, you're also reconciled with one another. And so when we reconcile, what that tells the world around us is that within this broken world, there can, there can truly be peace found within the church because of Christ. 
That repentance and forgiveness exists because change can happen. We show the world the true gospel lived out. Again, I want to draw two implications from this point. First, we see here that it's clear that Christians are expected to be part of the local church family. Let me start here again in verse 15, talking about how one a Christian, how one ought to behave in the household of God. The expectation here is that a Christian is part of a local body. Or else how else do you live out this, this, this purpose statement here that Paul is laying out? And so it's important then that we remember this. Now, it's important that we remember this, that the way we treat one another, the way we are to live out the gospel has to be within the context of the local church. And this is especially important when we send out our own church members on missions. Right, talking about Mission Sunday, so just kind of connected to missions. And when I talk about missions now, I'm talking about global missions overseas. And so when we send out one of our church members on missions, whether it's short-term or long-term, we're sending out one of our very own family members. And like any long-term, long-distance relationship, it's difficult to stay in touch all the time, isn't it? I mean, whenever, for instance, whenever one of, our, one of your kids go off to college, I remember when I went to college, it's, it was hard to stay connected with our family. Right? Just, you have to call, you have to text. There are just connections. The, the long-distance relationships are difficult. But even though it's hard, it would be dishonoring on our part if we forget to pray for them overseas. If we forget to check in on them. If we forget to support them in whatever they might need in the field. And we should even read their newsletters, right? How many of us, you know, see their newsletters and, and we just, you know, I have some that's left unread to remind myself I need to go back and read them. But more than just reading them, how many of us should respond back to them? Which is a short statement of encouragement. Hey, I read it. I'm, I'm praying for you. That's all you need to say. I mean, after all, these are our family members. Wouldn't you write back to your own family member if they were to email you an update? We see here the importance of the church. And while we highlight the importance of the local church in the mission field, I, I do want to say this. Because there are, there, are, there are a lot of missionaries out there, and maybe some of our own who are visiting us today, missionaries and organizations, uh, that you know, maybe, maybe perhaps it's difficult to work with a local church because there's no local church available in the field. And that can be the case. right? In many places, there's either no church or the church is underground because of persecution. And yet, what that tells us here, what that tells us here is that we need to make sure we follow the example that's laid out in the book of Acts. That the Great Commission, God here shows us the Great Commission is carried out through the hard work of evangelism and church planting. And so local churches are central to missions. Central to reaching nations. That means when we talk about missions, we need to we need to think about our, one of our end goals, one of, one of the many goals in missions, other than just evangelism, is indeed to plant churches. And that, does, that takes a lot of time and effort. Right? Planting a church takes a lot of time and effort. For us to even have a church here today takes a lot of time and effort. 
There are no short, there's no shortcuts when we talk about planning a church. It involves evangelism, discipleship, training, equipping. You're not working just to convert unbelievers, but you're working to train new converts to mature in their faith, to become spiritual leaders and pastors. And again, there are some places where there are no churches because there are no Christians. Or maybe there's so few Christians and they're scattered and persecuted and they're unable to gather together as a church. And so circumstances can indeed dictate whether or not local believers can gather together as a church. But the reality of all this doesn't undermine the importance of the local church. Instead, what it should do is to spur us on to greater prayer and action that one day a church will indeed be planted in that area as a light for the gospel to go further. Local churches, all Christians belong to local church. Our second implication is this, that church division can severely undermine gospel ministry. Right, there are many people whom we might know personally who grew up in a church but later left the church. And it's not because they thought the teaching was bad or they you know, disagree with the whole, you know, what we teach from the Bible, because what we teach from the Bible is, is true and it's good. But what they see is they see the hypocrisy of the people within the church. They see the church get stuck in ongoing controversy. They see the church fail to forgive and reconcile one another. They see a church lack compassion or abuse authority. And these conflicts, these divisions, what happens is they undermine the mission of the church. Right? Instead of drawing people to Christ, it drives people away. And more than that, conflicts can distract the church from carrying out the Great Commission, right? A, a team can't win a game if, if everyone's looking out for their own stats. Uh, or an army can't carry out a, a, a mission if, they're, if no one wants to back each other up and watch each other's backs. Instead, it is important to note that while there's conflicts, that conflicts, again, could arise. We're not saying no churches, churches don't have any conflicts. But when we have mission on our minds, it actually unifies the church. It actually keeps everyone focused. That it reminds everyone that the church is not about them. It's not about the, their comfort. It's not about what you can get out of it. What the church is about is about the glory of Christ and how each of us are uniquely gifted to play a role for that mission. On this point, I, I want to spend some time encouraging, especially the, the, our visitors today, our the representatives from different mission organizations and missionaries here. I mean, first, I, I want to thank you all for being with us here today and taking your time to, to be out there, to sharing what's going on in the field, sharing what's going on in your organization, and even your own lives with our people here. And we recognize that you have given your time, your energy, your life to answer the call to ministry from God. And so when I was thinking about, you know, how, from this passage, how can we best encourage you in your ministry, especially for those of you who are focused on overseas ministry to unreached people groups, where it's, just, it's difficult. What I realized when I was thinking through this is that one of the best ways that we as a church can support you, encourage you, is to show you that we too are carrying out the Great Commission here, that we are eventually all on the same team. That more than just giving you financial support, which is important, more than just praying for you, which is, again, prayer is super important, I also want to encourage you all who are here with us. I want to show you that here, here at FCBC WANA, we, 
We want to show you that God is at work here within our church. Because when you see the gospel being modeled, being preached at here in the lives of our own members, I think that will strengthen and encourage you to go back out and do the same. You see, when you see that we're united together like this, that we're, our church is also on mission together, we realize that all of us together, all of us are together for the gospel. All of us are united for the gospel. That we, we pray that when you come visit us here, for those missionary organizations who are with us, we pray when you come visit us that you don't see us arguing over finances or church buildings. We're not arguing, fighting over programs. We're not spending all our time and energy consumed with resolving conflicts between immature believers. Again, those things happen. But I, I pray that when you come here and you, you hear from us, that you see our focus of our mission, of God's mission, just as you guys are doing as well. That we're not, just, we're not just sending you guys out, supporting you guys, and we're just sitting back. But we too are running hard alongside with you, only that God has called us to our different places and areas. And I want you to see that. And I pray that our church can be that kind of model and example for you so that you can also have confidence in God. That so that you can also have confidence in the gospel. So that when you see the gospel at work here, you can carry that confidence as a beacon of hope for you. That you can go out and preach the gospel and see the God at work out in the field as well. I pray that here as a church, we can become a beacon of hope for you. A model of godliness, an example to follow. So that's, so that's what we see here that the, the mission of church is both done through proclaiming and practicing the truth of Christ. The big idea for this morning's message is this, that the mission of church is to be a trustworthy witness of God by proclaiming and practicing the truth of Jesus Christ to the world. Again, we may not all be missionaries here. Some of you are. Some of you, maybe God is tugging on your heart calling you. I, I pray that you will respond and explore that call. But not all of us are called to go to a foreign nation. Not all of us are called maybe to go to a people group that have not heard the gospel. But as we see here in our passage, that doesn't mean that we are not on mission for God. We are all together in on this. That as a church, we must continue to proclaim and practice the truth of Christ. That we show the world what true life looks like, and we proclaim to the world who Christ is. As we conclude here, I do want to just invite up the worship team to actually come back up, because I'm going to get close to the ending here. So as, as they come up, I'm going to end the message here. I, I do want to bring us back and, and see... Look upon this hymn. One last look at this hymn, because this hymn really is at the center of it all. Because this hymn, what it does, it brings us back to the heart of God. It, it, it shows this heart that's expressed that we saw earlier in First Timothy, where it says that God desires all people to be saved. All people, not meaning every single person in this world, but all people as in all kinds of people, from every nation, every ton, tribe, and language. All people, as in the rich and the poor, from the kings to the servants. God here is at work today because the task remains incomplete. Incomplete. And the mission of the church, really, at the end of the day, is God's mission. I 
pray that that will encourage you because if this is indeed God's mission, then God will not be defeated. He will not allow one drop of Jesus' blood to go to waste. And Jesus says, even in Matthew 16, that on this rock, meaning on this confession that we all share, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's the promise that we all carry today. That's the promise that we get to have to put our hopes on, put our strength on when we carry out the Great Commission. God is at work today. God is at work today. And God will work through the church bring the gospel to the nation. That's the power of the gospel, the mystery of godliness, which in a hymn-like form, this is what may it sound like today, that the mystery of godliness is indeed Jesus Christ, the majestic Lord over all, humbled himself as a servant, the king disrobed of grandeur, God in the form of man emergent. So that at the cross we come to see the apex of our sins. The Son of God nailed to the tree. Our debt was placed on him. But as the story goes, God's plan remains that this is not the end. Jesus conquered death, rose from the grave so that our new life begins. Jesus now in heaven reign. Man and angel take a knee that this is Christ, the Savior King, for all the world to see. Come Come believe in Jesus. He is the one the church proclaims, for there is no one else we'd rather have. All glory to his name. Father, may you bless this word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Church.